Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. <laughs> they go down in the hole in the morning, Borg goes over the top of the hole with the sandbags and etc. 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 And then they stay down there till roughly about eight at night. I dismembered the body and, and I, I you know started burning it on the stove. If I was a torture, why would I have waited so long to start torturing? The, the, the torture and the pain You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and... Kevin. And... Hey. <laughs> from... <laughs> the quarantine zone in BC. We're not allowed to be with each other right now, but you know, digital technology can't stop us. Yeah. So Kay's a longtime friend. We've been playing our bands have been playing together forever. He is one of the most talented people I know and the funniest. Uh-huh. And uh, his bands kick ass, Chapel, Necro Holocaust. So uh, how's it going up in Vancouver? Oh, not too bad. I mean, things things are trucking along here, you know. Uh, are you able to, to jam, like, with your bands? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, people are kind of busy, though, right now. But, yeah, I, I generally get down to the space at least once a week. Oh, that's killer, yeah. Yeah. My bands are all, we're all in different states and countries now, so it's fucking impossible anyways. So now yeah. it's, like, super impossible. I'm actually going to Portland uh, in a couple weeks to record some new Weregoat stuff. Oh, nice. Right on. So that should be good. Good to see the boys. It's been about a year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, tough to, for Temple to get anything done, though, because Zach lives in, in Seattle. So. Oh. <laughs> Are the borders still, like, officially closed? I think so, yeah. Unless, like, you can prove that, like, you're in a domestic, like, in a relationship, I think. There's some kind of, like gray, like, gray area for that stuff. Yeah, or if you just say you're driving to Alaska, they let you through. I so, guess so, yeah. Really? Which is like, yeah, that's I I don't get it, man. How come it's we like, never use that one when we were traveling? It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. You, you do not look like a fisherman. Yeah, but like some of our friends were like, you know, they like drop us off at like the town before you hit the border, and they'll just like tunnel across or whatever. They probably still want to check you and stuff, though. Yeah. Whatever. Anyways, well. We'll wait till it's legal and safe to do so. There you go. Anything you want to plug or say? As far as um, fans or whatever? No, I got nothing to plug, man. I'm not a, I'm not I'm a, a public I'm a, I'm a horrible plugger myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> not a, I'm not a public figure, so I got I got nothing to, <laughs> nothing to sell anybody, you know? Same here, man. I hate promotion. Yeah, no snake oil. Yeah. So today we're talking about in the theme of Halloween. Yeah, we're gonna come back at you with episode forty-eight, Gary Heidnick, which Kay, you actually recommended Gary to us almost exactly a year ago when we were going through our bad Garys. So what better time than on our one year anniversary to do one more Gary? Bring it back around. Yeah. Go. Yeah, I I remember I. 
a shot, Kevin, a message like, well, you guys, uh, you actually missed Gary. <laughs> 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 yeah, call us we, out we got immediately. Gary, we got Gary Indiana, but we didn't get Gary Heidnick. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, like well, first episode, just like, oh, you guys are actually wrong. Let me just. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, that um, was episode one. So thank you for holding our feet to the fire straight out of the gate. It only took us a year to get back to it, though. <laughs> well, I think that one of the reasons that a lot of people don't know about Gary Heidnick is that I feel like. You know, spoiler alert, when torture and, like, like fucking insane torture is involved, I do feel like it's not heavily as advertised as, like, other more simple, like, murderers and stuff. Right. But, like, Gary Heidnick's probably one of the worst in terms of, like, torture. Maybe the only others that come close are maybe the Chicago Ripper crew, which, again, that one's not huge, and the, the Toy Box Killer. Those... Yeah. Those two killers, and I even forget that guy's name sometimes, but he also died before he served time and stuff. But, oh, and also uh, Dean Coral. He's the Candyman. Like, he's fairly popular, but, like, again, like, tor- like gnarly torture, Yeah. usually not super popular. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, I, I, like, I, those torture porn movies like Saw and, like, Hostel and stuff are pretty popular, but. Like, yeah, yeah, well, probably those I, sick fucks probably like this shit i don't like i never watched like sar what was that human who do you centip- think films this shit <laughs> what it was the human, real <laughs> the human centipede one i never watched that either oh you're really yeah. no yeah i need more straight horror but that you know he was the inspiration this guy was the inspiration for something you want to tell us about that okay go ahead <laughs> Uh, well, apparently he is the uh, one of the one of the main inspirations for Buffalo Bill of Silence of the Lambs fame. Like I've seen a few articles about it and 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 such, but I haven't I haven't heard it straight from from uh, Ray Thomas. So I don't know if it's if that's confirmed or not. But, confirmed, right? Yeah, it but, seems pretty plausible. Yeah, it seems pretty good. The whole like, pit in the basement thing kind of gives it away. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think I think that's. That's probably the only thing, though, because, like, as far as I know, like, there's no, like, he wasn't trying to, you know, make a suit out of women or anything like that, so. Well, yeah, right. he took that inspiration from Ed Gein. He definitely wasn't tucking it because he was trying to make a little hide-nick army. That's right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. The Pazuzu vibes here are strong. <laughs> I did some research on this, and I got, well... Murderpedia was a, a source of mine. YouTube, um, the Red Handed Podcast does a really good episode on this, episode 114 of theirs. And I came across this article, uh, serialkillercalendar.com did a, <laughs> a good detailed rundown of this case, but uh, I guess we'll get cranking. Mm-hmm. So Gary Heidnick, for some reason, uh, I always think of Tim and Eric when I think of Heidnick. Right. That like, <laughs> that's probably a bad association. Heidecker <laughs> <laughs> like and, and, and Wareheim put it, together. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why, but I think of Tim and Eric every time. <laughs> so he is born to parents Michael and Ellen Heidnick, November 22nd, 1943, in a suburb of Cleveland called Eastlake in Ohio. So many serial killers are from Cleveland. Yeah, that's what um, I was just going to say. Like in, in this <laughs> red-handed thing in their podcast, they're talking about how many crazy killers are from Ohio. 
well, I mean, places river caught fire like nine times. Like, yeah, that's true. Shit, the air and the water, fucking destroy your mind. Sounds good. Yeah, I I wonder why someone <laughs> they're fucking raising demons there. <laughs> uh, fucking Jeffrey Dahmer, I guess, was from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Uh, I mean, we covered we covered Ariel, Ariel Castro, Castro yeah. yeah. Which I mean, Gary Heidnick and like Ariel Castro definitely share some similarities. Uh, the Angel of Death, Donald Harvey. Don't know him. He's supposedly an Ohioan, and, Ohioite. What they oh, him? is he a mercy killer though? Like a yeah. is he like a nurse? Mm-hmm. I I hate like medical killers. No blood and guts. No, it's just, like, it's so hard to track, like, especially if they're a nurse or a doctor for so long. One, it's way too easy to kill people and get away with it. There's no, there's no art to it. I, whatever. I just, I think they're stupid. God, you sound like the... I know, like I know. I didn't, something. I didn't, <laughs> I don't mean it exactly. I just mean that, like, it's like they're, they're killing off the lowest, no, hang, I, they're, yeah. hang, they're killing off the lowest hanging fruit and it just feels ultra fucked up. And then when you try to, like, trace back the years and years and years they've been a nurse or a doctor, it's, like, impossible to tell who they actually killed and who they didn't. So it's Mm. it's just, like, a messy, terrible thing to do. Because, again, like, when you're a nurse or a doctor, you're supposed to be helping people. So it's just, They are helping people. Well, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Go into the light. I know. I just find, like, medical murderers kind of boring, I guess. Because it's just, it's it's just too easy. It's apples and oranges. Yeah. Yeah. I don't view them in the same light as other killers which is a terrible light both are terrible lights go for it (laughs) so gary had a younger brother terry uh gary's parents were both drunks and michael the father was also very abusive they parents get a divorce in 1946 with ellen taking the children for about four years until gary is around eight they are then, uh, they move back to Eastlake with their father and his new wife. It's unknown why the mother gives up custody, but she had serious alcohol problems and we can speculate. Yeah. <laughs> so Gary's childhood is kind of cliche in regards of how profilers say most serial killers are. Oh, he's got the triad. So we got abusive parents. Check. Yeah, that's not officially a, tr- a triad thing, but yeah. Bed Doesn't weather. help. Bedwetter yeah. extraordinaire. Yeah. Check. Oh, yeah. And head injuries. Yeah. Yeah. Did he also like to start fires? Uh, I don't Because that, would, that would complete fires. the technical triad, but yeah, for sure. Serial killer checklist is almost complete there. So he fell out of a tree when he lived with his mom, and he fractured his skull, and it, like, I think it misshaped his head. Yeah. Uh. He was like a potato head after that. Oh, yeah. Like, it was like Football completely head. flat. <laughs> um, and so he pissed the bed like a fucking maniac. And, uh, but also, like, the head injury, like, completely changed his personality. Yeah, like, he got real violent after that. Yeah, it triggered something in him. He also was, his father would publicly shame him for pissing the bed. And he would, uh, sh- he would hang up the, the pissed bed sheets and stuff in like the front yard like making a big show of it for neighbors but honestly it would just if he was if it was piss it would just look like the dad was putting out laundry to dry i think he'd like hang them he'd hang them like out the window like out of like gary's like bedroom window like look at what my son did yeah yeah 
yeah, but even so, if like so people, people didn't do. understand it, the kind of psychological torture that you would get from that, just like seeing your pissy sheets, you know, like waving yeah. in the wind would be very like, yeah, would definitely do something to you. <laughs> yeah, it'd be terrible. I mean, the the reality of it is though, like I imagine people walking down the street and some guy just yelling like, "Hey, my kid pissed the bed." You're like, "Oh, oh well." Yeah, yeah. that's too that's too bad. I guess uh, wash the sheets, like. So if, like, yeah yeah just internalized like psychological trauma like, like he thinks that people are like that it's something ah! that super came up and... oh! <laughs> <laughs> all right so where was i oh shaming him yeah so <laughs> basically it's a how-to guide uh to raise a maniac is what's going on here uh Gary was also intelligent and had an IQ of 148. Uh, yeah, like I said, the fall of from the tree left Gary with the fucked up head. And uh, the kids in school made fun of him about it. They called him football head, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> football head. <laughs> Which, yeah, so that doesn't help his situation either. <laughs> football head pissed the bed again. So, oddly enough, Heidnick didn't interact with classmates. <laughs> the boys also lived in a state of constant fear. Their father would beat them for almost anything, and I'm sure this environment just fed both the boys' mental states. Uh, at 14, encouraged by his father, he enrolled at the Stanton Military Academy in Stanton, Virginia. He went there for two years, but left before graduating. He returned briefly to public high school, but dropped out and joined the U.S. Army at 17. Which also is like an unofficial tick on the serial killer, you know, checklist. Seems like a lot of serial killers are also like they serve in the military. Hmm? It's just kind of like a, I don't think it's a causation. I think it's just a correlation. But it does seem like a lot of serial killers have some kind of training from the U.S. military. Yep. yep. Dahmer once again. Mm-hmm. Ohio. BTK. Oh, really? Dennis Rader, yeah, he was he was um, military, as was Phil Spector, but not Phil Spector, um, <laughs> Richard Speck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, different, yeah. Crime, different crime, different crime. Richard Speck, yeah. Richard Speck, but he, he isn't technically a serial killer, he's a spree killer. Yeah. But there's a lot, yeah. Heidnick actually did well in the military. He was finally away from his constant abuse at home, and the structure and discipline of the military gave Gary purpose. During basic training, Heidnick's drill instructor graded him as excellent. Gary applied to a few specialist positions within the military, but was turned down every time. He was sent to San Antonio, Texas to be trained as a medic. He excelled through the medical training and was transferred to the 46th Army Surgical Hospital in Landstuhl, West Germany. I'm saying that right? You know how to speak. Landstuhl. Lan, long stool. Landstuhl. Sounds like long <laughs> stool to me. Uh, so this is in West Germany. And soon after he got his GED, things were looking up for Gary Heidnick. But this would not last in August 1962, Heidnick began complaining of severe headaches, dizziness, blurred vision, and nausea. A hospital oh, neurologist, yeah. A hospital neurologist diagnosed Heidnick with gastroenteritis and also noticed that Heidnick showed symptoms of mental illness. Heidnick was prescribed 
Here we go. Triflu... Triflora perazine. Triflora perazine. Yep, that. (laughs) All right. Yeah. According to WebMD... Is that like an... Oh, okay. uh, Trifluoroperazine or whatever is used to treat schizophrenia and psychotic disorders. It's supposed to make you not want to murder people or hallucinate. Mm -hmm. You might have stopped taking that at some point. Then. <laughs> uh, in October 1962, Heidnick's he's sent to a military hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he is diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder and honorably, honorably discharged from the mil- <laughs> military, army, whatever. Mm-hmm. After this, Gary became a licensed practical nurse. And he got into the University of Pennsylvania and dropped out after one semester. Go, Gary. He got a job at a veterans hospital in uh, Coatesville, I think you said. Mm -hmm. But quickly got fired for shitty attendance and being a dick to patients. Is that the official release reasons? (laughs) That's what the paperwork said, yeah. Excellent bedside manner. (laughs) Yeah. He was filling up the bedpans more than the patients. It's a <laughs> shitty attitude. <laughs> All right. Gary's mom, Ellen, was diagnosed with bone cancer and was suffering from the effects of years of alcoholism. Ellen committed suicide by drinking yeah. mer- mercuric. mercuric chloride in 1970 on Mother's Day. And mercuric chloride or mercury chloride was once used for the treatment of syphilis and Ooh. is very toxic to human beings because of, well, mercury. That's also mercury is like responsible for like Mad Hatter's disease. Oh. Like because they used to use mercury to help like form like the shape of hats in the water. And so they would leave a bunch of the mercury in there. So when people were were hats that were made from mercury process, they would go fucking insane. And that's why it's called it was called the Mad Hatter's disease. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was to make the make the felt. Oh, was that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. To get it together. I knew there was some kind of process. Yeah. And then it was used in like the uh, in the in the hat band or whatever. Right. And then it would it would leach in through your. Oh, yeah. Total support. <laughs> <laughs> so both Gary and Terry spend intervals of time in mental hospitals throughout their lives and both attempted suicide many times. And just as a clarification, Terry is his brother, right? Terry is yeah. the brother. Okay. Gary and Terry. It's like almost like Tim and Eric. <laughs> uh, Gary and Terry. <laughs> Sitting in a tree. Yeah, just giving her. <laughs> Just giving oh, her. Oh, Gary, Terry, just giving her. <laughs> uh, I thought he was a hunk. Turns <laughs> out, he's just my friend. Oh, Wait. Hunk of shit. Yeah, big hunk of shit. So in October, October 1971, one year after his mother's suicide, Gary gets a message from God <laughs> while driving to California from Philly. Hello? Yeah. 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 Don't ignore that one. Uh, <laughs> don't ignore that phone call yeah, it's god i don't think he's voicemail uh, so god was telling him that he, like gary needs to start his own church and have as many children as possible seems like god's telling a lot of motherfuckers this well and i don't know i haven't got the call maybe i maybe i did i think you, I, I think you missed it you're yeah. too drunk 
so Gary Heidnick at 28 starts the United Church of the Ministries of God based out of his house. Which, and, yeah, that is definitely something you don't see in Silence of the Lambs. No. no. That guy does not look organized enough to start a church. But I don't, I think that he had his church fairly organized. Kind of reminds me of Jim Jones. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, th- I think also like the his congregation was pretty easy to manipulate though because he went after like the mentally disabled right that was like his yeah, entire and people of color nation. and um uh women who were primarily like sex workers and stuff so yeah i mean he knew yeah. he knew who would not be missed for sure yeah and i also but believe I'm... like um the people's church the jim jones he also kind of he started in indiana and moved to Northern California, but like he also attracted a lot of uh, black families and stuff to his church as well. So that's the, also what they kind of share. Is, yeah, is like the followers of the church and who who he can manipulate and who isn't gonna be, who's a uh, less alive victim, I guess. Right. In terms yeah. of like who what the police cares about. Yeah, yeah, he definitely had a front yard full of mentally impaired weirdos <laughs> wandering around yeah, yeah. I, bet the neighbor, I bet the neighbors were stoked <laughs> oh. so heidnick started an account for the church with a measly fifteen hundred dollar deposit and eventually the united church of the ministries of god had amassed over five hundred thousand dollars also known as one half million <laughs> and the first thing he did one of the first things that Gary did was file for tax exemption. <laughs> Which, again, kind of speaks Fucking go to, Gary. He has a high <laughs> IQ. He has a high IQ, and he's obviously organized and organized enough to know how to get tax-exempt status. So, yeah. like, he's no dummy. No. It says right here, right in my notes, we need to start a church. It, we're not making any money. Oh. No, I, we'll we'll make more money if we don't pay taxes. There you go. Church of the Where. I don't know if you know how taxes work. <laughs> Church okay. of the Where goes. Yeah, our followers can eat our trash. There you go. Can you imagine the balls on this guy too, like filing for tax exempt status. Like I run a church out of my house. It's legit. Yeah, Come no, on. awesome. It worked. Yeah. It did it. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, he's totally taxed. Yeah, he had followers who like were devoutly. Oh yeah. And and they totally wanted to follow him. So was this church thing legit, or was it his? Was he starting this religion to uh, not pay taxes and to uh, get an easy, like easy access to vulnerable people people to start his yeah, so, mission his yeah, god so, sent mission so you're asking like is this a legit like he was following god's word or was there some control stuff happening what do you think at this point i mean it's it's hard to say like i like a serious head injury like i i think he he probably thought he heard the word of god for sure okay but I mean, to 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 use it as a way of like abducting people. I think he's too smart to do that because, like, if he starts like he's you know he's holding holding church like holding mass in his house, and members of the congregation are going missing because he's chaining them up in his basement. Like, people would ask questions. I think so. Mm-hmm. Although, like, 
It's definitely a combo, it seems like, of some really evil shit mm-hmm. and also some serious mental illness. Like, yeah. it's not all one thing or the other. You know, like, he's an evil person for sure, but he's also, yeah. like, fucked up in the head from, you know, numerous things throughout his life. He's very calculating and... Uh, yeah, it's not by accident that this stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe he wasn't directly trying to, like, abduct, like, his follow, like using it as a way to abduct his followers, but maybe just gain access to that community of people. Or maybe like, it was just, like, was, a fringe benefit. So this was yeah. early on, and this was his first attempt right. to start his, uh, his harem of child-producing... Because, yeah, that's still in the back of his right. mind, too, is that, this like, was his he needs to start mi- his own church, this one. This was the mission. But the second mission was to have lots of kids. That, yeah. yeah. It was a means to an end. He but wanted I mean, the like, kids. He could have also just, like, God gotten married. Didn't he get married? Yeah. He, I think you skipped that. Well, we haven't gotten there yet. Oh, okay. Just chill out, Sorry, dude. sorry. <laughs> so, remembering God's wishes for him to procreate, Gary began preying on some of his young, vulnerable followers. So Gail Lincoln has Gary's son, Gary Jr. But Gary Jr. is quickly placed in foster care due to Gail's inability to care for the child due to her own mental problems. So she was a member of the church, and that was the first one that he preyed upon. But she was too mentally unstable to take care of a child or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, Anjanette Davidson also has a child by Gary, mm-hmm. a girl named Maxine. And this is in, she's born March 16, 1978. And Anjanette was illiterate and mentally unstable. And Maxine was immediately taken into foster care. So, <laughs> that's two in a row. Yeah, I think we're starting to see a bit of a pattern emerge. Yeah, fuck. So one day, this is a good one. One day, Gary and Anjanette go to visit Anjanette's sister, Alberta, at the institution that she lived at. Alberta was even more mentally challenged than her sister. So they go to Shellings Grove Center. That was the name of the institute she's at. And they sign her out for the day. And then Heidnick took Alberta to his house and locked her in the basement, and for 10 days, Gary tortured, raped, and sodomized Alberta. And Alberta was 34 at this time, but mentally, she's more like five. Fuck. So it's, oh, t- it's so fucked. It's horrifying. Authorities find Alberta in Heidnick's basement, all dirty and fucked up. Is it, Did she tell on, do you know how the, they found her? Well, he signed her out of the. Oh, so they like tracked him down. Yeah. Uh, she hasn't been returned yet. Like. Yeah. No. Yeah. So they take her to the hospital, and immediately they can tell that she's been raped and abused, and uh, she even now has gonorrhea. Oh, that's great. Right. Right. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And Heidnick is then taken into custody. He's charged with kidnapping, rape, false imprisonment, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. And interfering with the custody of a committed person. Somehow, the original sentence was overturned on appeal, 
and Heidnick served only three years in a mental institution before being released in April 1983 under the watchful eye of state-sanctioned mental health programs. This just boggles the mind. So yeah, leave it like leave it to the government to. No shit. Like yes. Yeah, three years and yeah. uh we'll drop some of the charges and uh yeah he's he's good he's good no yeah he's good yeah it's like yeah it's religious <laughs> zealot with a fucking with a cracked skull yeah with a shit for like for the mentally disabled women like yeah he's fine let him loose i'm all for rehabilitation <laughs> but like what are you supposed to do in that limited amount of time you know like no shit for what he's done like he's tortured a woman yeah three years will solve that problem that's good i know it's almost like he's canadian <laughs> you guys are the worst you know we're pretty bad we're oh my pretty gosh. Bad. <laughs> jasmine richardson and bruce blackburn those are the two that i mean among many others you guys love letting murderers go we we love like not even catching them i mean <laughs> Fucking RCMP couldn't fucking catch a cold, man. <laughs> look at look at Operation Cathedral. They're just like, yeah, no, we're not gonna take part in that. Whatever. Just let a bunch of fucking people like, who knows where they are now? <laughs> oh, I've heard. Yeah, you're, is that the child porn ring? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah, yeah. They opted out of the. <laughs> we of the, uh, we just don't want to. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, just I think it was like, just oh, have more. Yeah. <laughs> So the last two years of his sentence, uh, Gary doesn't fucking utter a word until one day, apparently, he passes a note to a guard saying that Satan crammed cookies down his throat. <laughs> That's why he couldn't talk. Yeah. Well, the Satan cookies. Well, I no. mean, you ever, you ever try and whistle with a mouthful of crackers? Like, <laughs> it's much worse with cookies, I, I guarantee you. It's yeah. much more viscous. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, like, some weird fucking Cenobite from Hellraiser. Like, like the <laughs> fucking chode that shoots the fucking CDs. But he's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, after this, Heidnick uses a mail-order bride service to meet a prospective wife slash baby factory. And he begins writing someone in the Philippines. Two years later, Betty Disto arrives... And the happy couple marry on October 3rd, 1985, somewhere in Maryland. The good times don't last long, however, and the relationship takes a nosedive when Betty finds Heidnick in bed with three other women. Oh, that wasn't cool? That'll do it. I mean, would that be an issue with our marriage? Absolutely. (laughs) Just so you know. But three dogs is okay. (laughs) Throughout the span of their short marriage, Heidnick would make Betty watch him fuck other women. I'm guessing prostitutes. Or sex workers. Yeah. Heidnick is making his wife watch, make him watch him bang other sex workers. Yep. And she's not down. And he also beats her and rapes her. Yeah, that would, yeah, that would definitely be the kicker. So she reaches out to the Filipino community in Philadelphia, and they actually help her in leaving Heidnick in January of 86. 
Uh, Heidnick didn't know it, but he had impregnated Betty, and she gave birth to their son, Jesse John Disto, on September 15th and 86. Heidnick did not find out about this until he started receiving requests for child support in 87. So that's a good way to find out. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Was she already a... back in the Philippines at that point? I think so, yeah. So I don't know if he made any of those payments. <laughs> Doubt it. I mean, he had the money. He definitely did. Well, the best way to have the money is to not spend it, right? Yeah. Uh, like, oh, that, that's, I don't have any money. That's all the church's funds. Like, I, I don't have a personal income, right? Yeah. There's an argument right there. Like, that's fucking oh, that's God's money, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so actually, Heidnick was arrested for this assault and rape inflicted upon Betty. And uh, I looked, but I couldn't see if he was actually, if he spent any time in jail for it. But he was arrested for it. Yeah, no, I think it was probably a slap on the wrist. Yeah, I think those charges were dropped, like the aggravated assault and all that. I think it was, I think they were dropped. She, it's because she couldn't appear in court. She was gone. Went back to the Philippines. They're just like, fuck it, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And I think when it comes to child support payments and stuff, like it's almost like a fix-it ticket. Like it's just like, please promise to do it later, because I know so many people who are like. Yeah, I'm owed like 10 years of child support. I'll never see that. You know, just like it's at least in this country, it seems really easy to get away with unless like someone's really, really trying to go after you. And that would probably be pretty impossible for her if she's in another country. Right. Like child support and stuff like that. Is that is that a federal? Is it federal or is that like? Yeah, I think so. Oh, it is? OK. Yeah. So I was going to say. Go to court for that. Yeah. Federal court. November 26, 1986, the night before Thanksgiving, Josefina Riviera leaves for work after fighting with her boyfriend. It's fucking cold out and raining, so when a nice-looking Cadillac pulls over and asks if she needs a ride, she accepts. The man introduces himself as Gary, seemingly harmless, white dude, wearing glasses, slight beard, blue eyes. Josefina didn't sense any threat. I should say that Josefina's job was... Sex for money. A.K.A. <laughs> a sex worker. <laughs> yeah. After stopping at McDonald's for coffee, Gary takes her to his house. When they reach the door, Josefina notices the key to the lock is weird and asks Gary about it. He tells her the key is in two pieces, the front part staying in the lock, so only he can open the door. Good little trick. There's a red flag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, no. That's how I can lock you in. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so only I can open the door. Then he swallows the other half. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'll just Scooby-Doo my way into this house. This sounds fine. Like, yeah, Jeepers. It smells like <laughs> fucking human meat in here. <sighs> so she also notices that his house is weird as fuck. Pennies are glued to the walls. Furniture, you know, is kind of... Pennies or panties? Pennies. Oh, the way you said it sounded like panties. Nope. Okay. Legal tender. Cash money. Glued to the walls. And uh, everything is gen- generally gross and creepy. Those were the first the first alms he earned for the church. <laughs> yeah. First dollars. Bunch of My pennies. First thousand pennies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gary leads her to his bedroom where she sees the walls are covered in one and five dollar bills and so she's just standing there staring like what the fuck and puts his hands around her throat and chokes her 
so he chokes her for a while and then he lets up and handcuffs her and takes her downstairs to a cold dark basement he then drags her to a dirty mattress and secures her ankles in clamps connected to a chain fastened around a large pipe when there's enough daylight to see joseph saw for the first time in the confines of her new prison what struck her immediately was a dugout pit in the center of the basement mm. gary told her about his need to procreate following god's orders and that he had four children with four different women but all had escaped i thought we mentioned two but this thing they're saying four mm. two or four so now he's telling her now he wants 10 women to impregnate and start his little Heidnik army. And to prove his point, he rapes her. The second time Josefina was left alone in the basement, she attempted to escape. She somehow loosened one of the shackles around her ankles and made it halfway out of the window. She began screaming for help, uh, which worked for Amanda Berry in the Castro case. Didn't work this time because... Heidnik came to her aid and dragged her back inside and beat her with a stick till she was quiet. <sighs> then he forced her into the tiny pit. At this time, the hole in the basement was pretty small. Mm. And he forced her head. So he forced her into the pit. And then he basically tucked her head into her chest and covered the pit with a big piece of plywood. And then put a bunch of fucking weights on top of it to weigh her down. So she's like squished down in this like stress position, like with her head like squished down in her chest. Oh wow! In this cold basement, totally dark. It's pretty fucked. Oh, for some for some reason, I always thought it was like a, like a deep pit. I always kind of thought. That. I think it, it gets deeper like, as he continues to collect yeah, okay. more. But also, right. like in Silence of the Lambs. It's a deep pit. It's a well. Yeah. It's like it looks like a well. It's even got like the stones Stone, around yeah, it and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that's how she's not able to escape. He doesn't even put like a cover on it. This is a hole, and she's cramped in it. She can't move. It's like yeah, it's yeah. like a little like a kennel. Yeah, yeah it's fucked. Yeah, fucking crazy. You would think. I mean, depending on like what, if it's a dirt basement. I mean, even though like it's got a top weighing it down, it's almost like I wonder if she could have like tried to dig a hole to go out another way you know i'm not trying to say that you know anything other than like i don't I think wish she can move her arms oh like that's how cramped she yeah. is fuck yeah and to make sure that no one can hear her scream oh yeah he sets up a stereo and blasted hard fucking rock i think it was just hard the radio this article said hard rock oh, so okay. i'm sticking with fucking hard rock yeah, so you just, like, constantly had that blaring so no one could hear her screams. Yeah, and that's also another form of torture, just fucking incessant blasting fucking music. You can't hear what, it's like total sensory deprivation is fucked. Yeah, because she uh, can't uh, hear him coming or going. <clears throat> yeah. So she's just in a constant state of fear. Probably got that from the military. That's like Gitmo tactics. Yeah, yeah. totally. So Heidnik drags Josefina out of the pit, and the first thing she sees as another young naked black woman chained to the pipe like she had been. This woman was Sandy or Sandra Lindsay. Sandra had met and befriended Heidnick at the Elwin Institute, a local hospital for the mentally and physically handicapped. She told Josefina how she often had sex with Gary and his friend Tony and that she aborted Gary's baby and that Gary offered her $1,000 to have another baby but she declined, and now here she is, a prisoner. 
Josephina begins to realize the nightmare that she's really in. So weeks pass, and Sandy's mother actually went to police looking for her daughter. She told police that she thought her daughter was being held against her will by a man named Gary living at 3520 North Marshall Street. She even gave police Gary's phone number. Police called and went to the house, but no one ever answered. And God, it could have stopped right they, there. They drop it. Oh, nobody's God. home. Oh, well, we tried. Yeah. Because, you know, a murderer keeping a victim in his basement, he's going to definitely answer the door. Yeah, yeah, that too. Oh, I wonder who that is. So around Christmas in 1986, Gary was cruising the streets looking for another victim. 19-year-old Lisa Thomas was on her way to a friend's house when Gary pulled up in his caddy. He's got, he has this awesome Coupe de Ville. Anyways, he pulls up and says something sleazy, thinking that she's a working girl. And she gets pissed and tells him to fuck off. But somehow Gary turns up the charm and offers her a ride. And she can't say no to a ride in a caddy. <laughs> Just that easy, huh? <laughs> You know, a lot of the things that I read actually said that the girls accepted the rides because, like, it, he was like a looked like a nice dude in a nice car. Yeah, right. and I a white dude in a nice car too. Yeah, I guess he's like he's troll, like he's kind of trolling like poor neighborhoods and shit too. Yeah. So like, yeah, just roll in a nice like, oh, this yeah. guy is like total predator. No, no reason to, you know, cause any harm. Like, sure, I'll take a ride. This is gonna be deadly. I right? mean. It's yeah. the same reason, like, Ed Kemper and, you know, mm. Ted Bundy got women in their car. They were, like, nice-looking white men in decent cars, you know? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, if someone rolled up with a fucking sick 69 Nova and was like, hey, kid, you want to get in? I would be like, yes. Mm. I'm fucking there. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> sign me up. I'm down. <laughs> I'm fucking And there. also, like, hitchhiking wasn't uncommon back then, either. Like, in the 70s and stuff. Yeah. True. Uh, this is in the 80s, but still. 70s, 80s, yeah. yeah. Stranger yeah. danger wasn't quite a thing yet. So I can't really blame these girls so much for that. Well, and it's fucking cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. True. So Gary lures Lisa to his house, saying he'd buy her clothes and feed her. So they get to the house, and then he drugs her wine. He puts something in the wine, and she passes out. He then rapes her, and then handcuffs her in the basement with the other two. Ten days later, Gary brings Deborah Dudley to the basement prison. Like fucking ten days later. Ten days, yeah, man. Fuck. God wants those kids, dude. No shit. So, that, so Deborah ends up being his fourth victim or prisoner. Yeah, yeah, she's number four. That's yeah. insane, like how how quick he he grabs these people too. Like that's part of what's so mind-boggling about this case. It's just like just. They're just one after the other. Yeah, yeah, real quick. Grab three yeah. in a month. Nobody gives a shit. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, and it makes you kind of wonder if all the families reported their daughters missing or not either. You know, we know that at least one did, but mm -hmm. that's not all of them, you know? Yeah. So if you no, don't have complaining, you know, people, and also, <laughs> like, sex workers and, you know, like, maybe people that are fairly like impoverished and stuff they also them going missing might not be rare for the family so that's why potentially the family's not reporting them missing either 
you know it's just like this is what they do you know yeah i mean it is yeah. like a that's yeah. what happened with um michelle knight yeah. Her family didn't report her missing because they're like, oh, yeah, this is kind of like in character for her. But Gina de Jesus and Amanda Berry were reported right away. So that's why a lot of the times the connection wasn't made in Ariel Castro's case is because there wasn't a clear, consistent M.O., you know. I mean, this is even like if these if if these women were even in contact with their family at all. Exactly. Yeah. They're just and they're, you know, the less than dead. Right. Like, yeah. And they're get... all, like, in between, like, the ages of, like, 19 and 23, which are the ages of, like, running off with boys, you know? Even if yeah. the family doesn't believe that, the cops do, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and back then, too, like, that was kind of, a like, I guess that was kind of the, right on the tail end of, like, when it was possible to just be a drifter, too. Like, you yeah. just, up, like, up stakes and, and fuck off, right? Like, yeah this isn't working for me i'm out of here right just disappear like don't tell anybody you're going anywhere and also like like you said like between the ages of 19 and, and 25 like they're also adults so they don't have to tell anybody that they're leaving yeah they're so allowed they're, to they're, they're allowed like, to disappear yeah yeah not not technically like missing people mm-hmm. at all like they, they're allowed you can go wherever you want whenever you want and just disappear and not tell anybody so like if if they're even in contact with their family, like nobody's really reporting anything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if they're not, like it's just, oh, just <clears throat> they went somewhere. Like, where mm-hmm. did they go? Who cares? They're gone. Like, that's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like, no cell phones either. So, yeah, exactly. No way to track or whatever. So, Deborah Dudley, uh, she was 23 and she was not going down without a fight. She challenged Gary at every opportunity and got beat like hell for it. Uh, her being there actually fucked up like the balance with the other three women. Oh, cause she because she was a fighter. Yes, she was always defiant. And when she acted out, Heidenick would beat all of the women. So it's kind of like one of those things where she's fucking it up and then he'll take it out on everyone. Yeah. Uh, and this happened pretty much every day. Heidnick began leaving one of the women in charge when he'd leave. And if someone misbehaved, the one in charge would be forced to beat the others. That's like the Stan- like that um, Stanford prison experiment, you know? Mm. Yeah, like, that's just like, it was Philip Zimbardo, right? Yeah, he yeah. like, you put people, like, you put prisoners in charge of other prisoners, and they will always like, like, let it get to their heads, kind of, and like, be abusive, even if they're victims as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were being encouraged to to be as as cruel as possible, though too. Yeah. That ex- like that's that's why that experiment like it's not really given any credit as 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 useful. Uh huh. It was like it was kind of compromised by by the fact that like the people running it were like, oh no, you have like be as like be as cruel, be as brutal brutal as you can. Like they were encouraging it, so it wasn't really a useful social experiment because yeah. they weren't really left to their own like right yeah it wasn't like lord of the flies exactly exactly yeah. but but yeah. shit went bad in lord of the flies too yeah <laughs> no shit yeah. yeah and also like if you know that like if you fucking are a brutal warden down in this basement if there's some kind of incentive like i won't get beat the shit out of next the next time like there's any incentive whatsoever you're going to fucking be brutal, you know, because yep. it's a dog eat dog kind of 
like situation. I don't think these women were friends. No. Because no. like obviously in the Ariel Castro situation, they became friends. You know, like Michelle Knight stayed kind of separate of the other two, but Gina De Jesus and Amanda Berry became like best friends. They wrote a book together. You know, like it's when he doesn't want these women to gang up on him so he's constantly keeping them like on their fucking toes basically and switching the leaders and having everyone fucking hate each other yep divide and conquer keep them divided yeah and if the one in charge didn't beat these women sufficiently she got beat gary would step in and beat everyone's ass yeah with this dynamic going on go ahead I said that that's kind of like a like a military thing as well, right? Like yeah. to punish like you punish punish an entire platoon for one person's like fuck up, right? Like yeah. yeah. Private pile, what's your major malfunction? Exactly, exactly right? You take it out on everybody and then they and then they just fucking beat the shit out of the whoever's yeah. the malcontent, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It'll build a build a solid unit, right? And then he he Heidnick would build that unit and then tear it apart dividing them against each other as well fucking mental warfare yeah real calculating motherfucker yeah he's an evil fuck so uh josephina kind of wins gary's confidence as being his most loyal and then josephina was the fourth victim she was the first one oh she's the first one okay and she is not mentally delayed or like mentally no she was smart yeah, she was like the sex worker that. Oh, that was leaving her boyfriend's house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Gary would also force these women to all have sex with each other while he watched, and jumped in. And keep in mind, he would also be raping them on a daily basing. Uh, da- <laughs> he'd be raping them on a daily basis, dropping loads because you know, hide Nick army. Yep. Uh, fill it with people that's right but these women weren't showering and uh personal hygiene didn't matter to gary he would give them little baby wipes so they can clean themselves and (laughs) at some point he gave them like a portable toilet that's a bucket yeah (laughs) yeah i think it was a bucket i'm not sure what they used before that at some later date, he lets them take baths occasionally, but then would force them to have sex afterwards. So. I know. That's fucking. Oh, they're all clean now. Get dirtied up again. All right. Now sleep on it. Uh, Shit. Fuck it. And how long? And yeah, how long before he let them have their first bath? You know? Oh, I don't know. He's just like pumping them full. And just... yeah, I still remember. Ugh. That one scene where I think it's Amanda Berry, she takes her first shower ever, oh, and yeah. she can't even get her hair wet because it's so caked with semen, dried semen. Oh. She, has, she has to cut her hair <laughs> off in order, like she can't get it wet. That's I don't know fun. if it was her or Michelle Knight because I read both their books, and like she yeah. had to cut all of her hair off because she could it the water couldn't penetrate the semen helmet he had made on her fucking head. Oh, Isn't that horrible. Yeah. That's, yeah that's, i think it was like 10 weeks before she could take a bath it's so fucked oh. and then he get and then he got pissed at her for cutting her hair and she was like dude i couldn't do it any other way you fucked hard oh man these people oh so i know it's fucking brutal all right. 
It doesn't get any better either. So, oh, oh. so Heidnick drives a caddy, and I've heard that in the driveway he had a Rolls Royce. Because he had money. Yeah, his church made oh, money. Yeah. And uh, he pay taxes. Is he still running the church at this point? I don't think so. Is it re- I think real that he tent- did. But maybe it's on the books. I don't think he's actively having service. Because that'd be pretty crazy if he was still, like, having service and he had, like... While heavy notes. metals blasting people in the basement. People were still showing up for service while he had fucking women in his basement. Really? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They'd show up just like, isn't it church? T- it's Sunday. They're like... All right, come on in. Let me tell you about Jesus. You know, Let me turn the, the music up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Holy fuck. Oh yeah. That's fucking crazy. It's like, like, like I had said, like his congregation, they like, so Paul, they were all like, men, like mentally disabled people, so they don't really realize what like That's they had true, yeah. on. They're just like, oh, church Sunday, go to Gary's, and then like give them our money, and that was it, right? Yeah. This <laughs> it's so fucked. It's so oh. depraved. Hi, Nick has this idea of raising all these kids and stuff. And so if you're raising God's kids, you'd think that maybe uh, you'd want them to be strong kids. And maybe you'd want to feed the ones making your kids something decent. No, the Lord will provide. Apparently that's what Heidnick thought because uh, <laughs> he would feed them. Well, at the beginning he was when he, in his more – when he was um, – willing to spend a little more money, he would feed his captives uh, bread and water or uh, stale hot dogs. Oh. But this ended up costing too much, and he ended up forcing the young women to eat canned dog food. That's right. Yep. And he, yep. if they didn't eat, he would beat them like a motherfucker Ugh. until they ate. So, January 18th, 1987... Heidnick takes tiny 18-year-old Jacqueline Askins. So this is victim number five. Yes. He drugs and rapes her like he did Lisa Thomas. But when he tries to shackle her, her ankles are too small. (gasps) And so he needs to use handcuffs. For her ankles? Yeah, because she's tiny, I guess. That's so sad. And so he shows up later. That So he dumps her in the basement with the women and takes off. And he shows up later that day with Chinese food and champagne because it was his favorite's birthday, Josefina. Oh. And she led him to believe that, that her and Sandra Lindsay were pregnant, but they weren't. Oh, to get, like, better treatment? Yeah. I think it's actually uh, Sarah Lindsay. Is it Sarah Lindsay or Lindsay Sarah? Sarah. Yeah. So, in early February, Heidnick found uh, Sandra trying to move the plywood cover to the pit. So Heidnick punishes her by hanging her from one handcuffed wrist by a roof beam for several days. That's like, almost like Stirpato kind of shit. And I can imagine that would probably dislocate your your shoulder. Oh, it's right away. Yeah, and then you're hanging there for days. Yeah, put crazy strain on your leg. Like, it probably cut into your wrist real bad too. Like just a handcuff. Like your yeah, entire, plus, entire. If she's that, if she's that tiny, she probably doesn't have a lot of like body fat on her for any kind of insulation. You know. Mm. I mean, it's it's still enough. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck you up though. Like. So while she hung there, she refused to eat, 
and her condition quickly got bad quick. Gary still thought she was pregnant and tried to force her to eat by smashing bread down her throat. By the way, swallowing bread is super easy when you're totally dehydrated and hanging by one wrist. <laughs> oh, shit. So Sandra develops a fever and began vomiting, but still Gary shoved bread down her throat. At some point, she loses consciousness, and Heidnick takes her down, but she doesn't wake up. He then tells the others that she's faking it and kicks her into the pit. <laughs> and then he comes down and gives the others ice cream. Oh, like, this is what happens when you're a good girl. You get the pit if you're a bad girl, and you get ice cream if you're a good girl. Yeah, I don't know. But he leaves for some time, and when he returns, he takes Sandra from the pit and checks her pulse, and she is dead. He tells the others that she choked to death, most likely. On and what? Oh, I guess the bread. On bread? Yeah. yeah. So soon after, the girls hear the unmistakable sound of a power saw. Mm. <laughs> and then Heidnick's dog comes downstairs with a large meaty bone. <gasps> What? <laughs> he's in front of these fucking girls. <laughs> that weirdly, that kind of reminds me of Silence of the Lambs, Precious. Yeah. I oh, mean, Precious yeah. doesn't eat, like, human meat that we see, but yeah, that's, that's how the girl gets the dog down to the, the well, the pig. Could you imagine? No, I couldn't. <laughs> it's fucking insane. I'm totally imagining, like, the poodle Precious, though. I mean, it's hard enough to imagine being chained up in a basement, like, <laughs> a fucking dog comes down like i can't imagine being chained up down there let alone a dog coming down with a meaty bone and and, fucking and knowing that it was the girls who was just like fucking hung up right next to you you know yeah and hearing the saw going and all that oh dude so disposing of sandra's body was posing a problem yet gary thought he can kill two birds so he cut up and ground sandra's right. body Oh, yeah. yeah, trigger warning. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I guess we should have had a trigger warning at the beginning of the show, but... Yeah, I mean... It, this is fucking gnarly. This is also, on top of torture, the cannibalism that happens is uh, pretty... Maybe why he's not as uh, celebrated as other serial killers. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll insert a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode or something, but... Um, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. buckle up. Uh, here we go. So... To get rid of this body, he cuts up and grinds up Sandra's body and mixes it with the canned dog food. And he feeds it to his dog as well as his captives. Do you know if they're aware that they're eating her? I think they become aware of it, yes. Uh, At least, I don't. I wonder if Josephine is getting this, this as well. I don't know. That's, no, I don't. I don't know. I, I think she was like, she was she was like forced to help dismember the dismember the court. Yeah, and also at, there like, is certain points. I think Josephina is like staying upstairs and stuff too with him. Like she's not in yeah, the basement it gets, it anymore. Yeah, gets to that point. And that's where um, I believe like even Josephina was even brought up as like a potential like accomplice. Like that she yeah. was so close with Heidnik that like she was potentially even like somewhat to be found at fault, which. And I, I'm sure you'll talk about later, but like, 
I mean, obviously she's just trying to fucking survive at this point. Like yeah. she's, I, I don't, I don't see her as like, you know, we talk a lot about like willing accomplices, you know, when, when, when are, when are they a victim and when are they like a culprit, you know? Right. But I mean, after years, you know, I don't, how long has it been at this months of torture and, you about know, four months. Yeah. Like. Yeah. She's not culpable. I mean, she's not the one that's actively killing them or anything. I don't yeah. find her to be culpable. I just see her as trying to be a survivor. Yeah. It's not Stockholm. So, yeah, it's not Stockholm. No, she's plain. Like, she's smart enough to know the only way I'm going to survive and get any kind of special treatment is if I'm nice to this motherfucker. Like, I don't want to fucking eat human meat. I don't want to eat canned dog food. I don't want to be chained up in a basement. If I treat him like a human being and I treat him like my boyfriend or something, then I won't get that gnarly treatment, you know? Well, I mean, like another part of it too, like there was, there was a guy from, from his church who was there too. Like during the dismemberment, like, Oh yeah. And what, like, it was like a dude from the church, but he was, he was like, like he wasn't found to be like, like he, he was basically a wit, like a witness to a ton of the shit, but he was, um, he wasn't charged with anything because he, he's like, like, um, what do you call it? Uh, well, he's mentally disabled, right? So he's like, yeah. had like, didn't actually understand what was going on. So like, he wasn't charged with anything. Yeah. But well, there was, like, that. yeah, apparently, like on this one, like one article that I read, um, yeah, there was this guy, this guy from the church who was there, like when when he was dismembered of of Lindsay's body. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Damn, dude. And he's just like, oh, well, it's just another day in the Heidnick house. Yeah, yeah just another When's church service. Church? Yeah. So, not. Uh, he, Gary, also cooks parts of the body, uh, trying to get rid of it. Uh, and it smelled so bad. It filled the house. It filled the neighbor. Like, neighbors complained about the smell. Yeah. And police show up to the house and Gary fucking tells him that he overcooked a roast that he's going to eat. Oh, and man. cops are like, okie dokie. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's a, that's another like classic serial killer trope kind of thing. Like they're like, co- like some horrible stench and the cops, yeah. they're like, Oh, I burned some food. Like it happens. Dahmer was like, Oh, my refrigerator is unplugged. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Something went bad. Like you're you're damn right something went bad. Fucking human cadaver. Yeah. Like Jesus Christ. I and the put a cops, corpse under the carpet. Yeah, and the cops just don't care. They're like, oh, that guy's weird. I don't feel like going inside. Fuck that. Like, yeah. They'll don't just get that dick's house. They're like, yeah, I, I, remember, I left chicken on the on the counter, and they went bad. Smelled like a hot damn. That's for sure. Well, <laughs> you have a nice day. Yeah. Uh, Hi, Nick. Is he's paranoid and begins thinking that the girls are plotting against him which I'm sure they were. Uh, so he cuffs each girl by hand and foot and hangs them from a beam and gags them. And then he takes screwdrivers and jams them into their oh, ears true. so they can't hear. So they'll, they'll, they won't know when he's coming or going, so they can't ambush him. Oh. Um, and only Josefina escapes this. At some point, Deborah misbehaves again, and Gary takes her upstairs for a while. When she returns, she's visibly shaken. She tells the others that Gary showed her a pot on the stove with Sandra Lindsay's head in it. And he opens the oven 
showing her Sandra's roasting rib cage. He then showed her some other body parts in the refrigerator, and he tells her if she acted up again, she'd be next. After a few days, Deborah began being defiant again, so Gary devised a new torture technique. His new technique is he stripped the insulation from the end of an extension cord, and then he touched the end of the girl's chains with mm. the cord and watched them writhe and wriggle. Trying and he's to electrocating escape. them, right? Yeah, they're getting shocked as fuck. And so, you know, they're dancing because they're trying to escape the current. Oh, shit. Josefina was also exempt from this. Uh, so she is his favorite. And like Amy was saying, she is treated way better. Uh, more like a partner than a captive. And at one point... Uh, Gary gets Josephina to help him torture the girls. And I'm not sure if this torture comes... It sounds like it was after the first dismemberment and all that. I'm not sure how accurate this timeline is, but it sounds like Josephina already helped dismember, so this wouldn't be a stretch for her. But So they fill, this, they fill the pit up with water, and they force the girls in it, and they lower that extension cord down, and it hits a direct hit on Deborah's shackle, and she's electrocuted instantly. Mm-hmm. So after this, Gary provides some, <clears throat> I don't know why, but he provides some basic comforts into the basement. And Josefina uh, is actually like staying with him in his room and stuff like that, going out of the house on trips with him. And they dispose of Deborah's body together. Uh, and they also go on trips to replace her. They find a new victim together, Agnes Adams. And Gary chains her up in the basement like the others. So is that number six? This would be number five, I believe. Right? Oh, I don't know. I think it's five. No, I think we're at six. Oh, yeah, yeah I think six, this is one seven. is died. I think Deborah was number five. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Damn. <clears throat> Josephine had been pleading with Gary to let her see her family briefly, and if he'd let her, she would bring him back another wife. So that was the deal that she was trying to work out with, with Gary. Okay. He finally concedes. Uh, so he drops Josephina off near her house and then drives off, and he's supposed to pick her up at midnight at this nearby gas station. Mm. So... Of course, once Gary drives off, Josefina runs to the apartment that she shares with her boyfriend. Uh, and his name is Vincent Nelson. When he answers the door, Josefina blurted out. She storms in and blurts out everything that happened all, all at once. And Vince thought she had like lost her mind or whatever. So they call police and officers John Cannon and David Savage arrive. And they can't believe their ears either until she shows them the scars on her ankles from the chains and shackles. The officers go to the gas station where Heidnick is waiting to pick Josephina up in his sick ass caddy. And also, like, at this point, I just want to, like, point out that, like, if she was truly his accomplice, like some people believed or believe she wouldn't have risked her life to make sure that the others would be saved. You know what I mean? Like right. that just goes to show she's not an accomplice. She's a victim. 
you know, right. just trying to survive. Yeah. So police approach the car and Gary asks if this is regarding missed child support payments. So I guess he's not paying support. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the least of his worries. Yeah, it is now. Uh, Heidenick is taken into custody and his four month reign of terror is over. March 25th. Four months. Four fucking months. Like, yeah. Well, Ariel Castro, it was like 10 years. Fucking 10 years, yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy. Like, he's, he's like, snatched. Well, just the fact that he snatched like six women and chained them, like, in four months. In four fucking That's nuts. Like, that's yeah. so quick. They're in the basement of, like, a house in a neighborhood. It wasn't like he was out in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the, the house next door was attached to his. That's insane. Like, that's that's the crazy craziest part, too. Like, it was, there was, like, a house on the corner that was attached to his house, and then, like, more buildings right there, and, like, people walking by every day, and, like, his church, like, his church followers, like, coming to his house every week. And in four months, he was able to snatch six women and, and hold them captive. It's insane. It's totally crazy. Yeah. So March 25th, 1987, officers break down Heidnick's door. They go straight to the basement. They find two women asleep on a grubby mattress under a dirty sheet. Uh, police move the plywood cover to the pit and find Agnes Adams naked and squatting in the middle of the hole. Police search the house and find things in the kitchen that go along with Josephina's story. A food processor with raw meat in it, uh, charred cooking pans and stuff like that. Uh, but when they open the refrigerator, they find a human forearm. <sighs> and that's when they're like, fuck, she's telling the truth, you know. That's, that's when the jig is up. Like, not not the two women in the, like, three women in the basement or whatever. Like Yeah. Like. Oh, she's not totally embellishing. Okay, I guess we'll believe her now. They're like, oh, well, women chained in a basement. It is Ohio. That's pretty normal. But, oh, fuck, the arm in the fridge. Fuck. This is a, I think this is Philadelphia, isn't it? At no, this point, he moved, he moved, oh, he did moved he move? Philly. You're right. Yeah, it is Philly. Yeah. He was born in Ohio. Yeah. Born in Cleveland. He moved to Philly. Yeah. Now it's bad. <laughs> Philly is pretty fucked, too. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. So they search the rest of the house. They excavate the front and the backyards, but they find no other human remains. They find a closet full of porn, but that's like every house has a closet full of porn. So yeah, I mean, that's fine. Yeah. What are you fucking going to shame him for that? Come on. I'd just like to say that we don't have a closet full of porn here. You don't need one anymore. You got the Internet. Yeah, exactly. You got everybody's closet in your pocket now. <laughs> <laughs> in defense gary said that <laughs> he said when he moved into the house that the girls were already there yeah. that was his defense it was your, it they was, were already was there oh, it was like that when i got here for yeah. real i didn't do I, it it was already like that i didn't want to get involved you know? oh like i don't you know case people are still looking for him you know i don't want to get my fingerprints on him i thought they were the the maids yeah this house comes with maids sick (laughs) that's fucking sick that's an insane excuse yeah yeah 
his the the guy defending him is A. Charles Peruto Jr. And he claims Heidnick was insane, which was rebutted by the prosecution led by Charles F. Gallagher the third. Uh, oh. And he said the fact that Gary made so much money from his church proved his sanity. Basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Robert Kirkpatrick, Heidnick's financial advisor, testified And the fact that Heidnick. he has a financial advisor kind yeah. of speaks to uh, him not being insane. Yeah. So his financial advisor testifies against him, and he says, quote, he was an astute investor and knew exactly what he was doing. So not crazy. Just fucked. <laughs> Gary Heidnick was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder on July 1st, 1988. Heidnick was sentenced to death and held at the State Correctional Institution of Pittsburgh. Uh, In 89, he attempted suicide. And in 97, Heidnick's daughter, Maxine Davidson White, and his ex-wife, Betty, tried to seek... That's the Filipino wife, right? Right, Yeah. yeah. They tried to seek a stay of execution to no avail. Which is so fucking insane that his, like, long-lost daughter and, like, the wife that he would rape and beat would even give two fucks if this guy was alive or not. It almost makes me wonder if, like, they were receiving some kind of incentive and maybe it would stop. Like, if it was a humanitarian thing, like, hey, he shouldn't be put to death. Or if it was maybe a financial thing, like, if he's dead, then we don't get this certain benefit from the federal government or something, you know? Possibly. Because I have to believe that she don't give a fuck about this guy. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to say she's a gold digger. I'm saying that, like, I, I, it's it's a very complicated thing to to not want the person who raped and beat you and abused you to not be killed. Like... Either she's really good, or I don't know, you know? There, I just feel like there might be something more to that. I just, uh, I would have a very, very difficult time as being a uh, somebody's victim and not wanting to see them dead, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially since he also killed two other women, too. So it's not like it's on her behalf or anything. I get it. Yeah. Gary Heidnick was executed by lethal injection, July 6th, 1999, at the State Correctional Institution, Rockview, in Center County, Pennsylvania. And so far, he's the last person Pennsylvania has executed. Wow. Fun little factoid. Mm-hmm. And that is the story of Gary Heidnick. The end. Yeah. Damn. And that inspired Silence of the Lambs, which, I mean, obviously the pit in the basement for sure yeah yeah it's a wild one there's some little little tidbits in there i I didn't know before like started reading about him like just to brush up on it the other week there like finding out like there's that guy from his church who was there during the dismemberments and stuff like that like that people still kept kept coming to coming to church like a lot of crazy shit like the abduction in 78 that he just got away with like yeah. yeah That stuff's fucked. And apparently, like, that church church still exists. Really? really? Church of the Ministers of God or whatever the fuck? Yeah. Apparently, it still exists. Like, somebody else took it over, I'm assuming. I I guess. Well, they must have, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, Brother Bishop's dead now, but fuck, that's crazy. Yeah. It's a fucked story, man. Uh, it's funny. I, I actually, like, re- the reason why I, I even know about the guy was um, was from uh, Church of Misery. They had that song, Brother Bishop, on, like, an album a few years ago, and that was when I first heard about him. They, they did, like, this promo video for the song. I was like, fuck, this guy looks crazy. <laughs> and I started reading about it. Yeah, it was, like, one of the most gnarly gnarly dudes i've ever read about like wild wild stuff yeah fucking mixing human meat and that, the dog food yeah diabolical <laughs> it's fucked yeah yeah it doesn't it's not a feel-good story for no. sure i mean the only good part of it i guess is that some of the women were able to get away and like We'll link it in our, you know, episode notes and stuff. But there's a article that Josefina Rivera went on to write after Amanda Berry and um, Gina De Jesus and Michelle Knight were found. Um, she like helped to write a story about her life now, and she's doing really, really well. She's like got kids and grandkids and is happily married and stuff. Like it's nice to know that life went on for some of the victims, but mm. you know that's like the only silver lining whatsoever you know it's just it's fucked it's a oh, fucked yeah. story it's a fucked oh, yeah. story I, I imagine their lives aren't easy at all like they're no they're absolutely not shattered individuals like oh it's, it's not fun i wonder if like i wonder if they were completely deafened by the, the screwdriver to the ears thing yeah from what i from what i read it, it didn't work Oh, because I mean, when I heard screwdriver to the ears, I'm like, how are they not dead? I mean, obviously, he, he may have just, like, poked their eardrums or something. Yeah, kind of jam it in their ear and, and twist it up to their eardrums, I guess. <sighs> uh, yeah, from what I from what I read, um, I think it was on the, uh, what is it, Crime crime Wiki? Whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to confirm with stuff like that that's just, yeah. uh, you know, edited by the public. Um, but from what I'd read, like, it... it it didn't work on, or at least not on all of them. I mean, it's, you don't know unless, unless they come forward and say that they're deaf now because he shoved a screwdriver in their ear. Yeah. And obviously the one survivor that's gone on, she, she ended up writing a book called the girl in the cellar, Josefina Rivera. She wasn't, she didn't have that abuse inflicted on her. So like she, even though she's been the most vocal about it afterwards, she was one of the victims that didn't have that done to her either. So. Right. Maybe that's that's why she's able to talk about it more is because she didn't have to like. She didn't have as many lasting effects as the other women. She yeah. wasn't subjected to as much torture as the, as the rest of them. Yeah, but yeah. I'm sure like that um, survivor's guilt or you know sure. I, some kind of guilt has to eat away at her. But at the same time, she is the reason that they were saved. That's yeah. just a really complicated part to it. Oh, I mean, I I I know I definitely feel guilt like if I managed to like even if I managed to save everybody, like, like, well, through my actions, like I saved my skin first, like, you know, you can't blame me for that, but fuck, I feel bad about it. Like yeah. everything that happened to them. Like, yeah. You no, know, I'm sure she's not without empathy. Like, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I don't know. You, you, you don't know, you don't know what you got to do to, to pres- like to save yourself. And yeah. Preservation. Like, you know, none of us know what we're going to do. And, 
do in that situation until we're chained in a basement being fucking electrocuted and fed other people right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah good point well, you can join our Facebook group, True Crime Dumpster. <laughs> the segue always from like the end of the story to this always feels like weird, but yeah. But you can. Yeah, please do. You can follow us on Twitter, TC Dumpster. On, on, we're on the, that Instagram thing, True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, truecrimedumpster.com. <laughs> Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get a larger audience. Tune in next time where we continue to talk out the trash and give you another heavy dose of true crime. Adios.